In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Did you hear about that new restaurant called Karma? You get what you deserve. Thank you, thank you very much. Oh, just stop it, stop it. Welcome to the future, future, future. What's cracking out there, everybody? What are you guys getting into? Have a good weekend? How's the weather? Nice and warm? Or is it raining where you are? You part of that hurricane? As for me, don't worry about me. I'm doing fine. Living the dream, as they say. I was doing some thinking. This whole virus thing is... pretty interesting, isn't it? It got me thinking, what is the difference between a computer virus and a human virus? It seems to me that there's a lot of similarities, right? In some ways, in a lot of ways, the coronavirus is having the effect of mass hysteria. It's causing people to act out of control. It's causing some people not to act at all. Same thing for a computer virus, right? It makes the computer just stop. Sometimes it makes the computer act out of control. Both of them seem to want to hijack your data one of them wants to hijack your DNA the other one wants to hack your passwords or your routing number or your pictures or something like that right isn't it funny that we have some of the same people that work on computers trying to work on this virus a lot of similarities there I'm just saying I was talking to a friend of mine and he's got 
I got an Apple computer. He's got a like a Microsoft. Or he's got Windows on his computer. And his computer has a lot of problems. Microsoft has a lot of viruses. That's interesting because Bill Gates is the head of Microsoft, right? Well, isn't he also the head of like the World Health Organization, the CDC? And if his computers have a lot of viruses, why would we trust him being in, being in charge of the coronavirus? Like he can't keep viruses off his computer. How is he going to keep them off of people? doesn't make any sense. I think there's an issue there. To me, it seems there's a whole lot more going on behind the scenes. Obviously, it's an election year, and there's a lot of people that are jockeying for a position, utilizing different strategies to win. However, after Election Day, I think regardless of who wins, the same strategy for the coronavirus is going to be in effect as far as the vaccine goes. When it comes to Wall Street, both sides have their team of winners that they're going to funnel the taxpayer money to to win. However, when it comes to the vaccine, both camps are adamant about you getting that vaccine. That's the real, I mean, the real distraction is to keep your mind off of that. I don't think people need a vaccine. If you need a vaccine, then go get it. But when you talk about forcing people to take a vaccine, you are talking about something that has at the very least some sinister undertones. I like to go on to the World Health Organization website and listen to some of their podcasts and what they got going on. There's a team of people currently in Switzerland that are working on uh, passport vaccination identification. And they bring up some interesting points that I think everybody should be aware of. One of them is that they want anyone who flies on a plane to be to have this vaccine documentation. There's a lot of issues with that. that that's where the whole chip thing comes in. You know, where they have this quantum dot or they have this RFID chip that will allow you to get on a plane or go into a sports stadium or go to work. However, no one wants that. And not only do people not want it, but it's, in my opinion, I think that it is, it's unethical, right? I could understand the grand scheme of things where smart cities want to be able to track people. Smart cities want to be able to have your ID. Smart cities want to be able to have your bank account. Smart cities want to be able to have all that information on a small chip in your body. That way you can just walk around and doors will open for you. Not only that, but also I think there's a lot of technology out right now that depends on that. I think the future of healthcare is being inside your body. They want to have these 
these RFID chips that would, you know, send a alert to a hospital if your blood pressure was high or send an alert if your blood sugar dropped somewhere or send an alert to a computer to an AI system somewhere to make sure that you're okay and I on some level I can understand the beauty of that that's that's awesome but at what expense at what expense if you think about it from a logistics point of view Think about how much money they would save in healthcare if they didn't have to have you come in all the time. If they could monitor you from afar. If instead of having doctors, they could just have an AI system, you know, prescribe you drugs or prescribe you treatment. You could do away with so much of doctors. And then that would completely do away with so much schooling for people. And they could find other professions that's on the utopia side right so let's rewind it back and talk about some other unethical issues so let's say that the first people that get a vaccine are the people that need it most and from from what I read and I also try to utilize the maximum of believe none of what you hear and half of what you read so you should probably believe none of this since you're hearing it however i believe half of it so here we go let's say that the people that get the vaccine are the people that are most in danger of getting covid and from what i've read that appears to be minorities people with underlying conditions and like homeless people, really poor people. And that's at least what's what I'm hearing in the United States. So let's say that there is negative side effects from the vaccine. Those are the people that are going to see all those side effects first. The people that are already hurting, people that are already in danger they will see the most rapid side effects. If you read the literature, it also talks about once people get the vaccine, then they will be monitored closely. And there's a term for it. It's called, um, I might have to come back and say it because I don't remember exactly what it was called. It's like pharmacological, I'm going to have to come back. I don't remember it. It's like pharmacological surveillance. And if you look up that word, you'll see that it's it's being tracked. Well, we're going to... How do you know that there's going to be any side effects on this particular vaccine? Well, we're going to utilize the process of pharma, pharmacological surveillance. Okay, what's that? Well, that's us tracking them. Well, how are you going to track them? Oh, we're going to have a small RFID chip that'll send us a signal. So when you start digging into the literature about what the vaccine is, the vaccine is a chip. It's a implantable device that allows you, 
and everyone who gets the vaccine to be volunteered into phase four clinical trials of the vaccine. You see, that's where the unethical part comes in. Imagine being someone that gets the vaccine while a lot of people don't have it. Don't you think that there would be some sort of stigma about that person? Like, dude, oh, you got the chip in you? Oh, man, I don't want to be around you. Or, oh, you got the chip. That must mean you have it. That must mean you have COVID. So I don't want to be around you. I think one big issue they're thinking about right now is this certain stigma about having this disease. I've also heard that once you have COVID-19, that you can and will in the future be diagnosed as someone with a pre-existing condition. Lord knows what that means or, or how the insurance company is going to treat you if you have a pre-existing condition. On top of the vaccine, I think that COVID is a large umbrella for other things. I know that I was thinking about, I don't understand why. You know, we had the New Deal and we created all this infrastructure and they put all these people to work. There's, if you look at like Venice Beach or California or Hawaii or probably in your neck of the woods somewhere, there's probably a lot more homeless people than there has been in quite some time just because of the way the economy is. When the New Deal, they went to those people and said, look, we can't give you much, but we can give you a job and you can feed your family. We're gonna build some dams, we're gonna build some roads, we're gonna build some infrastructure. And I was racking my brain trying to think about like, well, why don't we do that now? Like this is the perfect time to build some infrastructure, right? Look at all the people that are that need help, that need a job, that are probably willing to go out and work hard if we just provided them an opportunity. And if we can provide bailouts to the central bankers all day long, why can't we bail out the people? You know, why can't we give, create some sort of government jobs for them to make money to feed their families? You don't have to give them money, but you should be able to give them an opportunity. And that got me doing some digging and thinking and as I did that there's a great article by Whitney Webb I'll put it in the show notes but there's a lot of infrastructure going on right now stuff you wouldn't think of there's plans to build three smart cities in New York that are going to be built by Israel I think there's plans for those are the three that I've read about I, I think there's also plans for some cities in California to be smart cities. And the current infrastructure they're setting up are smart sewer systems where they go in and they they put monitors and sensors into the sewage so that they can see where the next outbreak is, where they can see what cities are eating healthy, what cities, you know, what what percentage of narcotics or what percentage of pharmaceuticals are in the sewage and then they can go into those cities and try to fix them theoretically however it it seems that that could be used pretty nefarious as well and if indeed they are setting up smart sewers shouldn't the people have a right to vote on that particular thing that's another sinister part that I see going on is that and I kind of get it 
like if you let people vote for stuff, you're probably not going to get much accomplished. For example, I live in Hawaii and they have this train going through. And they voted on it and it didn't pass. And they voted on it and it didn't pass. And they voted on it and then it passed. And they voted on which direction it's going to go. And then they voted on what kind of technology it's going to be. And, you know, it's a disaster. Because it just sits at a standstill and no one gets anywhere because there's too much money on both sides. There's too much interest. And so you've got traffic and you have jams and the rail the rail over here is way behind budget or way over budget and way behind schedule and that is one of the problems with infrastructure in the US and that is another reason why i think you're seeing this covid-19 and all these lockdowns be hammered home additionally i think that i mean you could make the argument that under the umbrella of COVID, we are trying to radically and fundamentally change our financial system. It's so interesting the way things are worded or what you read in the paper or what you read on the internet or YouTube or wherever you get your news from. When it comes to the monetary system and this new stimulus package that they're trying to push through. You know, it seems both sides are in agreement that it should be trillions of dollars. And I want you to think about that word trillions of dollars. Like that number is so large that it's really difficult to wrap your mind around trillions of dollars. Why don't they say we are going to spend $50,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States or whatever the equivalent is. We're going to spend $100,000 for every man, woman, and child. And we're going to take that $100,000 for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. and we're going to give it to the corporations and the banks. Like That's a lot different than saying we're going to do a trillion dollar stimulus package. right? If they said it the latter. If they said we're going to take $100,000 for every man, woman, and child, and we're going to give it to the largest corporations, we're going to give it to the airlines and General Electric, we're going to give it to Shell and you know all these companies that have already gotten so much money for bailouts. If they said that, the people would be up in arms. There'd be riots in the street. So they don't say that. But the fact that they are planning this multi-trillion dollar package and the fact that they're not being honest about how much money they're spending or the fact that they're not telling you or me or these people that get up and go to work every day, the fact that all our politicians are making a conscious decision to conceal from the people where their money is going. I think that is a pretty bold statement. I think that that is telling us that the monetary system is failing. There's talks about a digital dollar. There's talks about blockchain technology. Another 
interesting point to think about is if you can kind of take a, a wider look, if you can expand your vision and not just think about the United States, but think about how everything is unfolding in the world. Like this is a world crisis. And it seems that there's also a monetary crisis that preceded the outbreak. Right? We had the bank bailouts in 08 and we had another problem in 2012 and then there was a liquidity crisis. The, like, the banks and the monetary system have been in real trouble for a long time. There was an interesting comment by uh, the president of Belarus, Lushenkov, I think is his name. I could be wrong about that name. I think that's his name. However, a few months ago, he came out in, you can go online and find it, just probably Google Belarus president talks about the IMF. And what he said is that the International Monetary Fund offered him $1 million to shut down his country. They weren't wearing masks. They weren't taking COVID seriously. And he had said that they don't have COVID in Belarus. So he came out and said, you know, there were, there were, it's pretty well documented, but I would urge you to go and look. He says, listen, the IMF came to me and they said, we will give you a million dollars if you shut down and ruin your economy right now. And he told him to buzz off. If that's true, if that's true, wouldn't it make sense that the IMF has gone to a lot of other countries and made the same deal and people did take the money? If that's true, you know, there's a great book by John Perkins. It's called... uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And what he talks about is about the International Monetary Fund. What they do is they go to countries and countries that are in debt. Think about a third world nation that's trying to industrialize. They want to build a port or they want to build some infrastructure. So, But they don't have any money. So they, they get a loan from the IMF. And when you think about the kind of loan they get, they, they get a predatory loan. A loan that sounds good, where they get a bunch of money up front. However, the means to pay back that loan are ridiculous. It probably has a interest rate that fluctuates you know, 20 or 30%. The way the loan is structured is for the people that get it to never pay it back. And the reason they do that is they want to be able to take the resources out of the country. So they'll give the leaders the loan, the leaders, the country will be unable to pay it back. And then the IMF can be on good terms to negotiate for the natural resources of that country. And they'll be able to extract the resources in that way. And then it's a never ending cycle. Think about somebody, you know, who's in debt that uses like a payday loan system and they just never catch up. It's the same system only on a countrywide basis. If you think about it from that aspect, by the way, it's a great book, John Perkins, The Economic Hitman. You should definitely read it. 
if you take that into account, look at all the places that are really hard hit in our country. If you look at New York, California, both of these states, they have, they have no money. They have no money. So is it that far of a stretch to think that they could have been approached by the central banks and said, listen, we'll pay off all your debts. However, we need you to do these things right now. It seems plausible to me. It's the same strategy that the international bankers have used, not only in third world countries, but throughout throughout history. You know, they start they end up funding both sides of the wars that way. If you look at whether it's World War One or World War Two, if you look how that was financed, it was financed on both sides by the same bankers, by the same people that own the banking institutions. They fund both sides, they make all the money. The same people that fund the Proud Boys are the same people that fund Black Lives Matter. The same people that fund the military industrial complex Right, the same people that fund Trump's foreign policy, they fund Biden's foreign policy. The same people that fund Trump's foreign policy, they fund Obama's foreign policy. And why is it that we don't even talk about foreign policy? We don't even talk about foreign aid going to other countries. Instead, we are fed this garbage about how how unfair it is to be in America and, and how these people don't respect these people I'm not saying that's not there I'm just saying it seems like a pretty big distraction to me and that if you tie all these together if you if you look at what was said in Belarus if you think about John Perkins' book, The Economic Hitman, if you think about the onerous debts by states like California and New York, if you think about the amount of money we're constantly printing, if you think about the bailouts, if you think about the new stimulus package, instead of being trillions of dollars, being $100,000 for every man, woman, and child in the U.S., and that money going to the banks, that money going to the largest corporations. I think that that's a lot of evidence to support the destruction of the monetary system. You know, there's a, additionally, when you look at Deutsche Bank, the the large bank in Germany, you know, they were out seeking criminals like they went and sought out Jeffrey Epstein after he got in trouble for being a pedophile if you look at the money the monetary system and where they get their money from it's it goes to show you that they'll take money from anybody (laughs) 
are they taking money from anybody because they need that money to make the system work? More than likely. More than likely. Anyways, it's, it's just fascinating to think about where we're at right now as a country, where we are right now as a world, and where we are right now in our lives. More importantly, I think the real answer is like, what can you do right now to ensure that your future, your livelihood, your family's livelihood can be a little bit protected? It's a good question. And I, I try not to dwell too much on the negative aspects of COVID, although I, I I find it fascinating and interesting and I think you have to try and define the problem before you can come up with a solution. And so you gotta, for me, for me I think right now is a great time to try and reinvent yourself. If you have a little bit of extra time, you know, what are what are the things that are beginning to emerge right now? What are the next phase of industrialization? What does the next phase of industrialization look like to us? And I would say that there's a lot more power coming to the individual. If you have more time, then you can have more time to be productive on your terms. I think I think that education is something that everybody should be looking into. That we're seeing a giant divide beginning to happen. And that you can play a part on what side of that divide you want to be on. I was at the bookstore the other day and I saw the new Wired magazine. I used to be a, I used to have a subscription to Wired and it's a pretty good magazine. I think it's got a lot of influence from, from our government, just like a lot of magazines these days that are on the shelf or the, a lot of the newspapers. There's a lot of propaganda in there. However, on the cover of the new Wired magazine, there was an article that said, the great work from home experiment And I just thought like, wow, that's exactly what this is. On another level, what COVID is, is like this giant social experiment to see what'll happen. Are we going to bring in a authoritarian regime throughout the world? Are we gonna utilize the China model, the state capitalism? Or is it going to be a more decentralized model? I would hope the latter. I would hope it would be a little bit more decentralized and that people would be allowed to play a bigger part in their future rather than having their future dictated to them. That being said, I I think not only is it a work from home experiment, but it's also an 
educate from home experiment. I know a lot of people that are having tough times and I'm sure you do as well. If you go to work and your spouse goes to work, who's gonna be there to make sure your kid follows their assignments online? Well, you could say, well, they don't need to follow their assignments, George. They can just, they can just be driven and they can experiment with the things that they find interesting and that will make them more of an interesting person. Maybe, that might. I guess it depends on what age they are. What if one of you works and your spouse stays home and tries to work from home? Well, anybody who's in that scenario knows that if you have a young child, it's difficult to get some things done due to the fact your child needs help learning online. And it would be interesting to see those numbers. I think people working from home are probably more productive than people that are going into an office and sitting down and just waiting to take a break or waiting to take lunch. I'm on board with that model. I, I think that going into a building and having to drive in traffic for an hour or two hours, sit down and having someone try to watch over your back to see if you're doing what you should be doing and then, you know, that seems like an antiquated model to me. And I think that there's a lot of people that would say that's the same thing for education. That is also an antiquated model. That's why I'm bringing up the, the possibilities for the future are in education. If you could establish a curriculum, you know, maybe, not, maybe it doesn't even have to be a whole curriculum, but if, if you have something interesting to offer to the world at large, then you could create a class for it. You could go online or make a series of YouTube videos or a podcast or something that people could tune into maybe for an hour a day or, I don't know, once a week or something. However, if you could create something that would benefit society, I think now is the time to begin trying to do it. The best way to predict the future is to create it, right? I've always heard that quote and it seems to be pretty true. I'm hopeful that after the election, things will be a little bit not as divisive. You know, I, I, I realize that that's probably a pipe dream and things are probably going to be more divisive. It just seems to me that when we focus on our differences, we move further apart. When we focus on things we have in common, we can begin to build bridges to rebuild our relationship with one another. However, it's difficult in the, in the new digital paradigm. 
this new digital format where we are subject or we have access to everybody's problems. Look at these problems. Look at those guys. Look at these guys. Look at her. Look at him. Look at those kids. Oh no. Like we're not built to respond to all those issues. And so I, I think as a as a country, we should prioritize what it is we want to solve. You know, you just do that old that old Ben Franklin method, right? Where you just crease the paper and on one side you write the positive things and on one side you write the negative things. You start crossing them off. What's the number one issue we want to solve in our country? Do we want to solve healthcare? Do we want to solve the economy? I think they could all be solved, but we have to stop. We have to stop trying to save the world. Right? You got to save your community before you can save your state. You got to save your state before you can save your nation. You got to save you got to save your nation before you can I don't think you can save the world. I think it's I think it's just this beautiful idea that has been exploited of hey man, let's save the world. Save the world. Man, we can't even save each other. Look how many homeless people are on the streets. And you got people running around. Let's save the planet, man. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I love the planet. But it's like being in the airplane. You got to... If for some reason you're on an airplane and it's about to crash, what are the stewardesses say? Hey, please attach your mask to yourself before you start trying to help other people attach their masks. It just seems like a giant distraction. The whole COVID, the whole economic system, it's just this giant distraction to keep us from working together to get ourselves in a better position. That's what it seems like to me. I was reading this other book called uh, When Google Met WikiLeaks. And what they talk about there is a form of censorship known as complexity. You know what I mean by that? If you think about the way people keep money in offshore accounts, if you think about the way that Epstein or Weinstein or you know the the Trump family or the Clinton Foundation or whatever, whoever's whoever's out there hiding all their money, they do it utilizing a set of shell companies in a foreign country under a foreign name. And then it's just like that shell game where, you know, the guy puts the ping pong ball under a couple shells, moves them around, bada bing, bada boom, it's gone. Right? The more complex something is, the more you're unlikely to understand it. And the more unlikely you are to understand it, the more unlikely you are to continue investigating it. And the more unlikely you are to continue investigating it, the more likely the people are likely to get away with the crime. And the people that have gone to jail are the people that weren't complex enough. I think that is a form of like complexity 
is a form of censorship. Complexity is a way to hide things from people. And it's kind of the new term for international banking, or it's the new term for... Remember, they used to be the quants that would create the derivatives. Like the new term is complexity. Hey, we're, we're looking to hire people who understand complexity. We want to hire people who can find ways to, to, hide, to hide our money. That's what it seems like to me. You know, it was... I think it's got to get to a point where... And we're probably getting close, right? Like every year you hear about the 100 richest men have more than 80% of the world. Like that concentration of wealth is not going away. It's only speeding up, especially in times of crisis like this. We're to the point now where we give billionaires money to build a building in a state. Like they give Jeff Bezos millions if not billions of of dollars in subsidies and tax breaks to bring jobs to a state it seems like it should be the opposite right shouldn't we be charging jeff bezos oh you want to build here okay if you want to build here then we would like you know we as the state of hawaii would prefer that we do some profit sharing we would like you to Open up your books and we'll take, oh, I don't know. How does you make 70 and we'll, pay, we'll take 30% of all the profits? Additionally, we would like all the people in our state to be paid, say, $22 an hour. Either we have a state and a monthly minimum. So the, the hourly minimum is $23 an hour and the monthly minimum is $4,400 a month. And then we'll take our twenty. We'll take our thirty percent that will go into funding healthcare for all the people here. And we would love to have you, right? Isn't that a way better deal than okay? We'll give you. We'll make all the people pay to have you here. You know what I mean? It just seems like it's it's backwards to me. However, it's not. It's that continued subjugation that continued concentration of wealth is already to the point where some people have aircraft carriers and hundreds of thousands of people are homeless you see it can't really continue that way and have the quality of life for people be worthwhile At least that's what it seems like to me. However, those are my thoughts on what's been going on and what I've been reading lately about COVID and the situation and ideas. And I wanted to kind of mix in some things that we could do better and solutions and just kind of get my ideas down here recorded and kind of get them out to everybody to see what you guys think and let me know, am I way off base? Am I close to it? Or is that what you guys see in your neighborhood? Or what else do you guys see going on? That's all I got for today. I love you. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. 
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.